Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 17. Let's look there together. The Bible says this. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our theme this year at White Oak Baptist Church, we are highlighting the commands of Christ. Uh, throughout the New Testament, I have gone through and counted distinctly 52 uh, commands that Christ gave. And uh, John chapter 15, Jesus says that if you'll keep my commandments, that your joy will remain full. I don't know about you, but I want to go through life having joy that's full and overflowing out of my life and out of my heart. I want my joy to be full. Jesus did not give us His commands to ruin our life. He gave us His commands in order that our lives might be filled full with peace and love and joy. So all year long, we've been looking at these commands. Today, we turn our attention to a new series of commands. We're going to look at His commands involving coming to God. Romans 4.17, we see His command to repent. And that's the title of the sermon this morning, Repent. Let's pray. Help us, Lord God, over the next few minutes to have a full and clear understanding of what that word means and how that works. And so, Lord God, help us to be able to leave here with hearts that are truly repentant to righteousness. Lord God, guide me as I preach. Lord, give me the words and the stamina, Lord, to preach a truth in a word that will uh, captivate the hearts of each one that are here. Help those that are in the crowd today to set aside distractions and for just these next few minutes be locked in uh, to the Word of God and the truth that it contains. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, to all of you that are visiting today, I'd like to take just a moment and thank you for doing your friend a solid and uh, showing up today. And uh, it is quite possible that you came in our doors with an open mind of considering us as a regular place of worship for you or your family uh, moving forward. If so, I hope that after today, you will come back all month long and moving forward. Every year in the fall, we have something we call a fall program. We have four weeks of special uh, type Sundays and uh, on, on those Sunday mornings, uh, we do some extra promotional things to encourage our regulars to be in attendance and to get visitors to come and, and check us out. So uh, all month long, all four weeks of the month of October, we have a special Sunday planned. Uh, next week is International Sunday. I just want to give you a quick preview of what's coming up and so that you'll come back. If you look around the room today, what you'll see is that our church is a melting pot. And I am thankful to have a church that is a melting pot. I think a healthy church ought to reflect the community with which it is in. If you walk into a church and everybody's the same color, then that's probably not a very healthy church. And so I'm thankful that we have a, a variety of people here. Upstairs right now in our church's fellowship hall, we have a service going on in Spanish. And we have people from all kinds of countries up there. But just across the room here this morning, we have a variety of people from all over the world. I went through one time and counted them up. We have people from over 30 different nations that are part of our church. Fantastic. Next week, we're going to be highlighting all of uh, the different um, variety of countries. And I want to encourage you to come in and be a part of that. Wear clothing that is uh, uh, native to your country, if you can. My wife down here, raise your hand if you would. That's my wife down there on the front row. The pretty one. Amen. I mean, all the ladies here, but especially her. So, um, uh, but uh, she's from the nation of Peru, and so she'll be coming in along with my son and daughter, all dressed up in their Peruvian clothing. And so, uh, you know, you might have been here a generation or two. How many Puerto Ricans in the room? Raise your hand. Lots of Puerto Ricans in the room. Arroz con candules. Amen. Amen. Okay. If you don't know what that is, you are missing out. So, uh, but um, wear your garb next week. Dress up. You say, that's not me. Well, come on anyway. We're going to have a great time. At 9.30, upstairs in our fellowship hall, we're going to have an international breakfast. You say, what 
is an international breakfast. We're asking uh, those of you who have origins out of America to bring food from those countries in and so we can taste the breakfast of the world. You say, well, what if I'm from America? Then bring a big old plate of pancakes or French toast and uh, we'll eat that up too, okay? And I had someone ask me, is dessert allowed? Oh, yeah. Dessert is always allowed. And I had a lady tell me, well, I'm Italian. I'm bringing cannolis. How many of you just changed your mind and you're coming next week just to get a cannoli? Amen. All right. Next week is going to be fantastic. We'll be doing that at 930 upstairs in the fellowship hall. The 815 service will be in here next week along with the 1030 service. So that'll be next week. We have some really exciting things uh, planned. I don't want to give it all away. Uh, We have some special music planned that's going to highlight the international flair of our church. It's going to be a service unlike any other. Be here next week or you will definitely miss out. Now, in two Sundays, we have youth emphasis Sunday. We have a strong, robust children's program at our church. And we have many of our children who will be singing and playing instruments and uh, quoting memory verses. And one young man will be giving his testimony of salvation and uh, explaining to us from God's Word what that means. A mini-sermon, if you will. We've got a lot of exciting things planned. Our teen, teenagers and children will be doing the ushering. Uh, they'll be doing the guest care greeting out in the lobby. You'll want to come and see our youth ministries on display next week and hear about all of great things we offer for families with children. And then in three Sundays, uh, we have something we call Old Fashioned Sunday. You say, what is Old Fashioned Sunday? Our church was founded in 1980, and if you wind back the clock to 1980, you may remember people dressed a little bit different in 1980 than they do today. At least most of us dress different than we used to in 1980. How many remember the lime green jackets and the giant sock ties. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many remember the lady, ladies, the, the poofy hair, the poofy hairstyles, all right? I was amazed. I thought maybe some ladies were going to have a competition to see how poofy they could get those perms. So uh, anyway, we're going to wind back the clock, whether you dress like it's the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 1870s or whatever it would be. Uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, some music here uh, that uh, will highlight that day. And then outside after this service, we're going to have a carnival-type atmosphere. There will be a bounce house for the kids. There's going to be a hayride for anyone who wants to hop on and be a part of that. Uh, there will be a cotton candy and, and a big, uh, big uh, buffet of food that you all will bring and provide. It will be a potluck-style meal. It's going to be a wonderful time. And then after all of the carnival atmosphere, we'll settle back in for an afternoon service. Uh, that will be a, a, have a, a hymn sing-along. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And so if you're visiting today, let me encourage you to give us a shot over the next four weeks, experience our church, get to meet some new friends, and you'll have a great time. Now, if you're here this morning because your friend drug you here or guilt-tripped you into coming here, and you just showed up to fulfill that that friend duty, maybe they called in a favor and held something over your head or threatened blackmail, whatever the case. All right, you're here today. We're just glad you're here. And uh, if you have no intentions of coming back, I want to first thank you for being here this Sunday. I mean that, all right? We're thrilled that you even give us one Sunday to be in attendance at our church. Now... As a preacher, I dream big. You say, well, how big do you dream? Imagine that you uh, come up on a park, maybe down here at the, the park down the street, Booth Park, and you walk out into the open field, and there I am laying out on a blanket with my fingers interlocked behind my head, and I'm staring up at the clouds in the sky, and you say, Pastor Lejeune, what are you thinking about? And I would maybe say to you, I am dreaming a big dream that one day I will have the opportunity to preach to a crowd of 8 billion people. Pastor, 8 billion people. Yes, I would love to have just 45 minutes to preach one sermon to every person walking planet Earth. One sermon. Listen, I believe that I have found a truth that is so fundamentally vital to the human experience that I would love 45 minutes to give this one vital truth 
to every... And I believe that if this message would be well received, it would, it would set us on a track to very well, well fix this world's ills and this world's problems. Now, if I had one sermon to preach, I would either preach this sermon or I would preach one very similar to it. And so I'm asking you to give me your heart for the next few minutes this morning. I believe that the kingdom of God is very soon coming upon us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, He said this, listen closely, Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Listen to this, Many there be that go in thereat, but narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Do you know what conclusion I can draw from what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14? Here's the conclusion I can draw. The popular way to heaven is the wrong way to heaven. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life eternal. Here's something else I can take away from the words of Christ. The unpopular way to heaven is the correct way to heaven. Now, if I were to go down here to the Walmart parking lot, and I were to stop ten people and say, I'm conducting a survey, and I want to know if you would participate in my survey, and I got ten people to agree at random to participate in my survey, and I were to ask them this question, let's suppose that twelve hours from now, you were dead and standing at the gate of heaven, and God were to look at you and were to say to you, why should I, the holy God of the universe, the creator of all things, let you into my heaven? What would you tell them? Now, if I ask that question to ten people at random at Walmart, can I tell you that eight of them would more or less say the same thing? And their answer would be wrong. And their answer would have them on the path of destruction in a devil's hell. And my guess is this morning, if you came in, that you very well may be on that broad path. You say, Pastor, what is that answer? Hang on a moment. I'm going to get to that answer a little bit later in the sermon. The Bible's answer broadly to eternal life boils down to this word, repentance. Repentance. What does that word mean? That is not a word that fits in our ordinary vocabulary. Uh, you're probably not going to go to work tomorrow and hear anyone throw around the word repent or repentance. It is a Bible word. It is a theological word. It is a word found spoken at the church house. It is a word that most people do not truly understand. And today I hope to shed some light on what Christ meant when He commanded us to repent. And my hope for each of you here today is that when you leave the building, not only will you understand the Word in your head, you will have put it to practice in your life. So let's jump into this morning and look at three observations, three thoughts out of God's Word and consider what it means to repent uh, as far as obtaining eternal life. Now, if you received a bulletin on your way in, on the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. Let me encourage you to get that bulletin out Flip that over and we'll be putting the uh, outline up here on the screen and so you can take notes and reflect back on the things we've covered as we move along here, okay? Number one, thought number one this morning, notice the definition. The definition. Matthew chapter 4, look with me at verse number 17 where we began. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you a fisher or make you fishers of men. Now, to help you understand the definition of repentance, we're going to look at a biblical example of someone who truly did repent. All right? Right after the command in verse 17 to repent, Jesus tells us about Peter. Peter. Uh, much like those of you who joined a, a friend on this day and came to church, Peter found Jesus because of his friend. 
His friend just so happened to be his brother, uh, Andrew. So uh, uh, take your Bibles, if you can, over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you're in Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it's three books to the right there. John chapter 1. Uh, Andrew joined his brother Peter and went and met Jesus and was invited, and I believe he was drugged there out of some sort of obligation by uh, uh, Peter's part. Peter did not want to be there, but he went along and obliged. Now, uh, look with me at John chapter 1 and look at verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew hears Jesus speak. And uh, or here's John speak of Jesus, and he wants to go fo- follow uh, his uh, follow Jesus. So Andrew finds Jesus, and he's curious, and uh, he now knows he's found the Messiah. Look at verse forty-one. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So picture this with me, okay? Here you have Andrew. He's the disciple of, of John uh, the Baptist, and John the Baptist introduces uh, him to Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, this is Jesus, the Messiah. And Andrew gets to meet Jesus. He gets all excited getting to meet Jesus. And he goes and finds his fisherman brother, Peter. Now, Peter, Peter was a, a, a fisherman who lived out on the sea. And to say it lightly, Peter was a rough Soul. He was a rough soul. Uh, imagine a fisherman. Imagine, have you ever heard anyone say that guy cusses like a sailor? How many familiar with that phrase? How many are familiar with that phrase? How many are not familiar with that phrase? Not familiar with that phrase. How many don't understand my question? Okay? Alright. Uh, so, uh, listen. Cusses like a sailor. Uh, Peter was a rough guy. He was probably a little embittered toward God. And Andrew comes along and he's all excited. Hey! Hey, guess what? We have found! We have found the Messiah! Come with me! Come with me! I'm going to introduce you! And Peter sort of, oh brother, rolls his eyes. You say, well, where do you see that in the Bible? Turn your Bibles to Luke. I'll show you. Luke. Luke chapter 5. Boy, Peter is uh, steeped in a life of sin. He wants nothing to do with this Messiah. But the Messiah wants something to do with him. And the Messiah seeks out Peter. And we see Peter come to a place of repentance. So to understand repentance, repentance is letter A, the changing of one's heart. The changing of one's heart. Letter A, the changing of one's heart. Look at Luke 5 and look at Luke 1. Now, in Matthew 4, Jesus jumps right to the end, or Matthew jumps right to the end of the story. We get that uh, Jesus preaches repentance and then we see that Peter is following Christ. But understand that there is a story that fits between verse number 17 and verse number 19. The story is found in Luke 5. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, this is Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Notice that plural, your nets for a drought. Look at Simon's response. Look at Peter's response. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. We've not caught a single fish. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Singular. So Jesus said, let down the nets. Peter obliges and lets down one net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, look here, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Can you see the skepticism on Peter's face as this carpenter preacher says to him, let down your nets 
into the water. Now, I want you to picture this. Here, Jesus is teaching, uh, and uh, Peter has been out working the third shift. He's been working all night, out fishing. He's gone the whole night, not caught a single fish. He's discouraged. He's tired. He wants to go home and go to bed. He's closing down his shift. He pulls the boat into dock. He's off to the side. He's mending his nets. He's cleaning his nets. Jesus comes along right where Peter's working, and this huge crowd comes in, and they're pressing Jesus closer and closer to the sea. And so he says to Peter, can I use your boat and teach from it? So Peter uh, lets Jesus into his boat while he's fixing his nets. And he says, hey, will you come over and push away from shore a little bit? So now Peter is sitting there listening to Jesus think, teach, thinking, will he hurry up? i got to finish fixing my nets so I can go home and get some sleep. And Jesus is teaching and teaching. And Peter's just kind of sitting there waiting on him to hurry up and finish. And finally, uh, he finishes and he disperses the crowd. They're out a little from the shore and Jesus looks at Peter and he says hey I want to help you catch some fish and Peter looks at Jesus and he thinks with all due respect I'm the fisherman you are a rabbi or a teacher of the of the law and you are a carpenter what do you know about fishing and Jesus says Peter let down the nets. And Peter says, yeah, I've been doing this all night. We've not caught anything. This isn't even the time to catch fish. But if it makes you happy, here goes nothing. And, and he's just a few feet off the shore. But he lets that net down into the water, one net down in the water, and a great catch of fishes come jumping into his net. So much so, the boat's about to capsize. They've got to call another boat over to help get all the fish into both boats. And both boats are so full of fish, they begin to sink in the water. And Peter realizes, my brother is right. This is the Messiah. And what does he do? What does he do? Look back at verse 8. Look at the end of the verse. What does Peter say? He says, from his knees, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. What did Peter do here? He had a change of heart. He went into this thinking, I know more than the, this, uh, this Jesus character. I know better than him. Uh, who does he think he is? I know my own way through life. I know my own way through my troubles. I'll figure this out on my own. I'll do things on my terms. And Jesus said, no, sir, I know better than you even about your own fishing. He said, learn to trust me. And you know what Peter did that day? He fell on his knees and he gave his heart to the Lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8 9 tells us the very same truth about how it is that we repent. We must give our heart to change. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. If you can't get there, I'll read the verses for you. 8 and 9 says this. Listen closely. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Did you catch that part? Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In case you didn't catch it the first time, when he said, not of yourselves, he circles back around in verse 9 and says, not of works. It's not of works. So then how are we saved? We're saved through the great grace of Jesus and that work on the cross where He shed His blood on Calvary, that life-cleansing blood that washes away our sins. We're saved when we put our heart's faith in Christ. Now notice that uh, phrase up on the screen. In fact, read that out loud with me if you would. Participate with me, church. Here we go. Ready? The changing of one's heart. Let me hear you. Read it like you mean it now. The changing of one's heart. The changing of one's heart. What is your heart? What is your heart? Write these three words down. These three words make up the heart. Here they are. Mind, will, and emotion. Mind, will, and emotion. Let's go back there to the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Gennesaret as it's called in Luke 5, and let's, let's stand at a distance and watch this thing unfold and see Peter on his knees. You know what Peter 
has done on his knees, he's decided in his mind that he is wrong and Jesus is right. You see that that change in his mindset? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Father, or rather he says, uh, he says, Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Look here. O Lord, O Lord, you are the authority in my life, O Lord. The change of mind. But see, not only did he change his mind, he changed his will. Um, I love sports. In fact, sometime this afternoon, I'm going to plunk myself down on my couch and I'm going to watch some football, all right? I'm going to watch my Dallas Cowboys and hopefully they will win today, all right? I love sports. And you know what? Guys get out there on that sports field, whether it's basketball in the court or baseball, football, any soccer fans in the room. Okay, all right. Amen, some soccer fans in here. Uh, what's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, soccer fans. Uh, but uh, you know what? It's all the same on all the competition fields. And they want to will themselves to a victory. They will themselves to win. You get two teams on the field, and they're trying to will themselves against the other team to come out victorious. And a lot of people, they're trying to will themselves to heaven. They think, if I just try real hard, and, and, and I'll be as good as I can be, I'll get to heaven. But you have to change that will to say, no, I'm not willing myself to heaven, my will is in that Jesus does the work and saves my soul. Here Peter has laid down his nets. He's come to the feet of Jesus and he says, I am a sinful man. I am broken. I can't do this. But not only is it the heart, not only is it your mind and your will, notice this, it's your emotions. Look back there with me at Luke 5 and notice where Peter is. Notice where he is. He's on his knees. He's on his knees. He's down on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And he's saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. There is an element of salvation that involves your emotions. It is the emotional choice that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He came to earth, born of a virgin named Mary. He lived a perfect life. He was God, robed in flesh. God on earth. He went to the cross. He became our sins on that cross. He died in our place to set us free. You must repent. You must turn from believing in a church. You must turn from believing in yourself. You must turn from believing in good works. And you must put your full faith and belief in Jesus Christ and His great grace. Repentance is a change of one's heart. Letter A. A change of one's heart that leads to, letter B, a change of one's actions. Go back with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Luke, look, look what happened when Peter truly repented from his sins. Luke 5, look at verse number 9. Luke 5, 9. For he was astonished, speaking of Peter, he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt uh, catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. And I have this underlined in my Bible. They forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. Those who truly repent from their own broken way, and give their hearts to Jesus, they experience a change that runs down into the core of who they are. John chapter 3 says, you must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. The moment I put my faith in Christ alone to save me, the Lord reached out inside of me and He made me a new creature with new desires to behave in a way that was different for the kingdom of God. And He gave me a work that was fresh and new. Peter, what did he do? He laid down his nets and he went and he followed the Lord. Let me be very clear on this. As a pastor, I give myself wholeheartedly to the work I do here at the church. Tomorrow morning, I have a hospital visit at Bridgeport Hospital. 
with someone who's going through a hardship in their life. And I'm going to go and try to encourage them and pray with them. And uh, This past week alone, I had a half a dozen counseling sessions where people came in needing help with their marriage. Or maybe uh, they were addicted uh, to a drug. Or they're going through a hard time in their life. And they come in and sit in my office. And I work with them and I try to help them. And I spent hours this week preparing the, the, the three sermons that I'll, I, I, I will have taught or preached today. And hours reading my Bible and praying. You say, Pastor, why are you telling all this? The reason why I'm telling you is this, so that you understand that I have given my, the entirety of my life to pastor White Oak Baptist Church and to be the husband of Angela Lejeune and to be the father of Matthew and April Lejeune. This is my life, but please understand, I do not do this so I can earn favor with God and get to heaven. I do this because I have God's favor. And I do this because I want to please the one who made me and saved me. Now, God is not calling everyone to be a pastor. But what God is doing when He saves you is He calls you to a work. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We saw verse 8 and 9 about how we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Verse 10 says this, For we, speaking of those who are saved, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The moment that you repent from your sins and you give your heart to Christ, He saves you and He calls you to a work. And the changing of one's heart leads to a changing of one's actions. Let me get very, uh, let me use an analogy we all understand. All right. How many of you here have ever, ever won? held a gym membership. Raise your hand for me. Hold them up. Hold them up. How many of you are like me? You get a gym membership and about six, eight months later you think, why am I giving them my money? I never go. Okay, be honest. Be honest. Then you walk in and you cancel and you're like, oh, that was a waste. The worst part about it is I have done that probably half a dozen times in my adult life. Okay? Now, here's how this works for me. Okay? Maybe it's worked this way for you. I step on a scale after Christmas and I suck my stomach in so I can see the number and I think to myself, I just hit an all-time high. Man, I need to get to the gym. I need to change the way I eat and I need to get to the gym and start working out. All right? So I go down there and I have a change of heart. I don't want to keep putting turkey and potatoes and and Christmas cookies in my mouth. I want a change of heart. So in this change of heart, that takes me down the road to where I pull up in the parking lot and I walk in and I meet with one of those piranhas, I mean gym workers, and I uh, agree to some contract and I sign my life away to go be a part of that gym. Are you with me so far? A change of heart has led to a change of Action. And listen, when you give your heart to Christ, I mean, you wholly give Him your heart because you want to believe in Him alone for salvation, that ought to lead to a change of action. Now, does the action save you? No. The belief in Christ alone is what saves you. Jesus has called all of us to repent, to turn from our unbelief in Jesus alone, and believe in Jesus alone. Please understand, nobody is born believing in Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, We are all turned out of the way. All we like sheep have gone astray. And it says that we are filled with transgressions and sin and unrighteousnesses, and we must turn and believe in Jesus and His finished sacrifice on the the cross and His resurrection from the dead to be saved. That's what it means to repent. The day I repented was April 8th, 1988. I was four years old. I was sitting in about this part of the room, right back here, uh, of the auditorium down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. At the end of the service, I walked down to the front. I sat right down here on the front row, and I bowed my little head and my little heart, and I called on the name of Jesus to forgive my sins and give me the gift of eternal life and save my soul. I repented from being a sinner, I repented from unbelief, and I believed in Jesus alone. I was like Peter, down on my knees, saying, I am a sinful man. That's what it means to repent. The definition, number two, we see the distractions. The distractions. Why is it that so few find their way to eternal life and salvation in Christ alone? I believe the answer to that question is because Satan 
has deceived most of humanity and distracted them. Many of you here today may be falling for one of Satan's many distractions. Let me give you three of them. By no means is this list complete. But I believe that these are the main distractions Satan uses to keep people from repentance. Letter A, a rich life. A rich life. Luke chapter 16, if you would, in your Bible, if you were in Luke chapter 5 a moment ago, turn over just a handful of pages to Luke chapter 16 and look down with me at verse number 19. Luke 16 Verse 19, and I'm not reading this passage to scare anyone, uh, quite the opposite. I'm reading this passage because it is the truth. And you know what? Hard truth is still truth, and it needs to be understood so we can make proper decisions. Look at verse 19. Jesus is teaching here. He's not telling some made-up story. He uses names. He is sharing a historical account. Look here. Jesus says there was a certain rich man. Say those two words with me. Rich man. Let me hear you now. Rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen. He wore the finest clothes of his day and fared sumptuously every day. That means he ate banquet-style food all the time. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate, full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at verse 23. We see where the rich man goes. And in hell, he lift. Notice that word lift. It's not lifted. He is still lifting up his eyes. He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Understand that Lazarus had nothing in life except his faith in Christ. But the rich man enjoyed banquet-style dinners all the time. His house was decorated with the finest of furniture. Had this man lived today, he would have enjoyed a luxury car and the greatest perks that life had to offer. First class flights, if not private jet flights, and uh, VIP experiences down at the local country club. This man had it all. But when he died, he went straight to hell. When he died, he went straight to hell. You know why? Because Satan distracted him with money. In the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 24, let me read this verse to you. Listen intently. Jesus says, and again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Listen to me. When the Bible talks about wealth in Matthew 19, or being rich in Matthew 19, I do not believe he's talking about money. I believe he's talking about pride. But can I just tell you what I've experienced? People with money, oftentimes, are people with a lot of pride. How many of you have realized what I am saying to be true? How many understand that on the world's scale, you and I are rich? By the very fact that if you have a bank account, you're richer than a lot of people. Any of you ever traveled internationally and seen real poverty? Just about every week of my life, I go out into the neighborhoods in the greater Stratford area and I knock on people's doors and I invite them to come to this church. Yes, I am that annoying person at your door. All right? I'm not selling solar, and I'm not there to be a nuisance, okay? Um, you ever had somebody knock on your door, and you look out the window and think, who is that, and how do I get rid of them, okay? 
I deal with that. I understand. And I do, I, look, I'm being very honest. If you ever see me at your door, I promise not to be a nuisance. If I, you come to the door and your body language says, get lost, but you're being sweet and smiling, I can read body languages and I move on to the next house like that. All right? Let me just tell you, I go down to Bridgeport, to the poorest parts of Bridgeport, and I knock on doors sometimes. And then I go to Lordship or this Oranoke neighborhood in Stratford where people's homes are valued anywhere from three-quarters of a million dollars upwards of two million dollars. Can I tell you that when I knock on the door of someone in Bridgeport, most of the time they come out and sit on the porch and they'll give me 30 minutes to an hour of their time to talk to them about the Bible. Any chance you think people in Lordship give me 30 minutes to an hour of their time? Nope. Yesterday I was in the Devon neighborhood in Milford. Went out with Carl over here. Raise your hand, Carl. That's my buddy Carl. Carl and I out knocking doors yesterday, inviting people to church. We had a handful of people open the door. But we didn't get beyond hello, how are you with most of them. I'm busy. I don't have time. We had one guy open the door. I held up the track and said, I'm from the church. He said, I'm good. Thank you. See you later. Bam. Close the door. You think, well, why would people be so rude? You're such a good-looking guy. I know, right? <laughs> I don't get it either. I tell myself that every morning when I'm combing the three hairs on the top of my head. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. You know why it is? Because people who are rich, they think they don't need God. Now, they may not say that, but their actions do. You come in this morning and you have money, great for you. Let me just say this to you. You don't get to take any of it with you when you die. None of it! It all gets left behind to be distributed amongst your friends and sometimes even your enemies. Satan pours wealth on some people And as a result, he distracts them from repenting and believing in Jesus. And let me just say this. If you die with all of the money of this world, and you're poor because you've never given your heart to Christ, and you've never repented, you, my friend, are the biggest loser of them all. A rich life. Letter B, a rebellious life. A rebellious life. Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus is standing outside of Jerusalem and uh, uh, He's looking at the people as they're walking about the city. And I believe there are tears running down His cheeks as He says this. The Bible says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would have I gathered thy chickens together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not... These people chose to reject Jesus. Here you have a loving, compassionate... Please hear me. Here you have a loving, compassionate Jesus who's looking at these people who He's come to save. They're rejecting Him even though He's not rejecting them. These same people He's weeping over are going to line the streets along Jerusalem and as He carries the cross out just a few short years later, they're going to pick up rocks and they're going to hurl those rocks at Him. They're going to hurl insults at Him and He's going to go and die on Calvary's tree for their sins. Why did they reject Jesus? Because of their rebellion. Write this down. Rebellion is when I reserve the right to be my own final authority. Rebellion is when I reserve the right to be my own final authority. I'm not going to let the Bible tell me what to do. I'm not going to let a parent tell me what to do. I'm not going to let a boss tell me what to do. I'm not going to let a police officer tell me what to do. I'm not going to let a a spouse tell me what to do. I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. I will call my own shots. How many of you here ever raised a teenager? Raise your hand if you ever raised a teenager. Then you know what it's like to deal with rebellion, don't you? Amen? You say, well, my kids are good. That's great. But you know what? All kids have a little bit of rebellion built in their heart that has to be dealt with. And I know this. There are a lot of people who are so in love with sin that they will not repent 
The Bible says about Moses in Hebrews 11.25, it says, Choosing rather, that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, listen to this, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Here's the tricky part about sin. Sin is fun. It just is. Sin is fun. Some people love to go out and drink. And man, they're wine connoisseurs. They know all about alcohol and whiskey. They know how to mix them. They know how to talk about them. They get excited about that stuff. They love their alcohol. Drinking yourself drunk. Dressing loosely and provocatively. Doing drugs. Going out to nightclubs and discos. Many people do not want to follow Christ because they fear that all uh, this would fall away in their commitment to be a Christian. What happens to people who choose this life over Christ? They run the risk of dying and spending an eternity in hell. When I was um, an assistant pastor down in Maryland, I worked at a church... And at that church, I was the Spanish pastor. My wife being uh, from Peru, I picked up some Spanish along the way. And, and I was the Spanish minister in that church. And we had a young man come and visit our church. And he was renting a room from another family um, there in, in inner city Baltimore. So the following week, I drove out to the address he'd provided. I couldn't get hold of him. I drove out to the address he'd provided, and I knocked on the door. And the family from whom he was renting uh, was home, but he was not. So they invited me and uh, my friend in there. And so we went in, and we were trying to invite them. They were Spanish-speaking also. We were trying to invite them to come to church. And I got into the gospel message with them. And I told them how that Jesus wanted to save them from their sin. They needed to turn from their unbelief. And and believe in Jesus. They needed to repent. And here is what the man said to me, sitting in his chair. He had a beer in his hand. An open beer in his hand. He listened to everything I had to say. He held that beer up. And he said, I will not do that because then I'd have to give up this. And I do not want to give up this. He said, until I'm ready to give up this, I do not want to believe in Jesus. What a foolish choice. What a foolish choice. Now, pastor, do you have to give up drinking to get saved? You do not have to give up drinking to get saved. But if you do truly give your heart to Christ, drinking will fall off on its own. Amen, Hector? Raise your hand, Hector. Hector came to church just a few years ago, lifelong drunk. Started drinking when he was eight years old. He gave his heart to Christ. Shortly thereafter, he put down alcohol and has not taken a sip since. Congratulations, my man. That's what happens. Some people are rebellious. They want to hold on to their sin. And as a result, they don't want to give their heart to Christ. How many people die of overdose, die in a car accident over alcohol, die because of a date rape drug slipped into a drink, die over some sinful choice, and in their rebellion, they slip into a devil's hell. Letter A, a rich life. Letter B, a rebellious life. Quickly, letter C, a righteous life. And righteous is in quotations there. A righteous life. Oh, this is the one that gets the most people. Deep in the bag of distractions Satan uses to take people to hell is the lie of self-righteousness. Now, I mentioned earlier about that survey in the McDonald's parking lot where I asked ten people what they would say at the gate of heaven if God were to ask them why He should let them in. And I said eight out of ten people would give the same answer. And let me just say this. I have asked that question or some form of that question thousands of times in my life. Thousands of times in my life. And so when I stand up here and tell you that eight out of ten people at random would give this answer, I am telling you this as a man who has asked thousands of people that question. Eight out of ten people, if I ask, where are you going when you die and why? Here's what they tell me. I believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Do you know that is the wrong answer? That is the wrong answer. Satan wants you to believe that you are good enough to make it into heaven on your own. Maybe you think that because you're a member of a particular church you're going to make it into heaven. Let me just say this to those of you that are members of this church. When you die and get to the gate of heaven, God is not going to ask to see your denominational card at the gate of heaven. 
Oh, well, I'm a member at the White Oak Baptist Church. God's going to look at you and say, so? Hey, you know what? That also works for being Catholic. Yesterday, I asked one lady at her door about her salvation. And this is where she shut the door in my face. I asked her if she was going to go to heaven when she died. And she looked at me and she said, Well, I've been Roman Catholic my whole life, so I think I'm good. Boop. Close the door. Now, time out. Listen closely, because I know we've got Catholics in the room. I'm not picking on Catholics. But I just want to make a solid point here. Okay? Try that at the gate of heaven. God says to you, Why should I let you in? Because I was Roman Catholic. That's not the answer, folks. Neither is being Baptist or Presbyterian or Muslim or Buddhist or, or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon. There is not a denominational church that's going to get you automatic access into heaven. People think that because they're a member of a church, they're going to heaven. Maybe you think you're going to heaven because you are a good neighbor. Or maybe you think you're going to heaven because you've never cheated on your spouse. Maybe you think you're going to heaven because you've always been honest on your taxes. Maybe you think you're going to heaven because you're good by some societal standard. Maybe you even think you're going to heaven because you're good by the Bible's standard. Luke 18, we find a story about a good man who came to Jesus looking for heaven. And Luke 18, 18, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, He said unto him, Yet thou lackest one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? This man had been righteous, but this man was headed for hell. Do you know why righteous people, righteous people don't get to go to heaven? Because the standard for you to get into heaven based on your own righteousness is perfect. Anybody want here want to raise their hand and claim they've never committed a single sin in their life? I didn't think so. James 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet have fit in one point, he is guilty of all. Imagine the Ten Commandments are like a chain. You've got a ten-link chain. Chain is only as strong as what, church? Let me hear you. As what? It's weak as link. So you know what? One time you told a lie. You probably told more than that. How many of you ever told a lie? Raise your hand. If your hand's not raised right now, you're lying. Okay? Everybody's told a lie. Everybody! Some of you just told one right now. Okay? Chain's only as strong as the weakest link. As soon as you tell a lie, you've broken the commandments, you can't go to heaven. Satan wants you to think that you're good enough to get to heaven. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Isaiah 64.6 The prophet said that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. God looks at your attempt at being righteous and He sees it as filthy rags because He is holy. You do not get to heaven by being a good person. The definition, the distractions, let's bring it home. Number three, the decision. The decision. Letter A. Let's look at the punishment of the unrepentant. The punishment of the unrepentant. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, He said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, listen to this, ye shall all likewise perish. Perish. We saw earlier that those who choose not to believe in Christ for salvation will follow the rich man straight into hell. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14:6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Alright, my birthday is on January 3rd. You say, why are you telling us that? So that you'll remember, amen? <laughs> my birthday is on January 3rd. This January 3rd, I'm turning 40. Can you believe it? I'll be 40 years old. 
I'm going to be an old man, all right? At least old man by what I thought when I was eight, okay? I'm turning 40. And you know what? Let's say for my 40th birthday that I have a big birthday party. And I invite all of you to my house. And I say, you know what? All of you can come to my house on my birthday, but I have one rule. It's my party. It's my house. You come to my party at my house, you got to follow my rules. You have to come in through the front door. And you being a smart aleck little punk, show up with a ladder and try to climb in through the second story window. And then when I say, nope, you can't come in, you look at me and say, you're narrow-minded. Ah, you, you're the worst. And I'd say, what's your problem, man? This is my house. This is my party. These are my rules. You want to come to my party? You've got to come in through the front door. That's a fair request. Jesus says, it's my Father's heaven. He made the world. It's His rules. If you want to get into heaven, you've got to come in through the front door. And the front door is the Lord Jesus Christ. And unless you're willing to come in through Jesus, there is no other way. Well, here are my good works. No, put the ladder away. Here's my wealth. Put the ladder away. Uh, Here's my rebellion. Put the ladder away. There's one way to heaven, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you won't come in that way, then in essence, you are damning your own soul to a devil's hell. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving. Who is someone who's unbelieving? Uh, anyone who chooses not to believe in Christ alone for salvation. And there's a whole long list of sins here. Abominable murders, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, listen to this, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, if you reject Christ and choose to live in unrepentance, then you are sealing your own fate to the lake of fire in hell. You say, oh, Pastor Lejeune, I don't want that. I want eternity in heaven. Well, listen to letter B, the promise to the repentance. And this brings us to the close of the message and my favorite verse in the Bible. In fact, if you know it, I want you to say it with me. John 3.16. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you catch that? This verse is for the whosoever's. That's you. That's me. For whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.13 words it this way, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I close my Bible and I finish with this illustration. Jesus died on a cross. Next to Him, there was a thief on one side and there was a thief on the other side. Everybody with me so far? You with me? Say Amen. The thief on one side was unrepentant. He looked at Jesus and he snarled at Him. He said, if you really are the Christ, the Son of the living God, come down off this tree and take us with you. He didn't believe. This man died and he went to hell. The man on the other side was a thief. You know what? Probably never been to church. Probably never been baptized. Probably had nothing good to offer. In fact, he said as much on the cross. He rebukes his friend and he looks at Jesus and here's what he says. He says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. You know what he was saying? I believe that you are dying for my sins. I believe in you alone. He repented. And you know what Jesus did? In His agony and suffering, He looked over at the man and He said this, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So I want to ask you this morning, which of those are you? Are you the one who's unrepentant? Or are you ready to be the one that's repentant? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The verse said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I called on the name of the Lord and I prayed four very simple things. I told the Lord, number one, that I was a sinner. I told the Lord, number two, that I deserved to go to hell for all of eternity because of my sin. 
I told the Lord number three that I understood he had died on the cross in my place. And I told the Lord number four that my faith was in him alone to forgive my sin and save my soul. And I want to help you to make that same commitment today. If you're here this morning and you have never believed in Christ alone for salvation, I want to help you to repent right now. I want to help you to believe in Jesus. Remember, repentance is the changing of one's heart. You need to give your mind, your will, and your emotions to the Lord right now. Romans 10.9 says that you have to confess with your mouth and believe with thine heart. And if you're ready to give your heart to Jesus right now, you're ready to believe in Him for salvation, I'd like to help you to do that right where you're at. I want to lead you in a phrase-by-phrase prayer. A phrase-by-phrase prayer. And in that prayer, I'm going to help you to pray those same four things I prayed as a small child. Under your breath where you're sitting, if you would like to repent and give your heart to Jesus, just say these words. Under your breath, say, Dear Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for raising from the dead and defeating my death. My faith is in you and in you alone. Forgive my sin and save my soul. And take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name.